This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime at our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. We've been talking about, last two weeks, we've been talking about refusing defeat. And let me just add another word to how we refuse defeat, and that's to fight. Now, don't jump to conclusions. Sometimes in the political world, you say fight. People think that you're going to fight against flesh and blood out here. We're talking about something a lot more real than that. A lot more devastating consequences than that. So I would like us to talk about how to refuse defeat and how the Bible teaches believers to fight. And he says here in Romans chapter 13, this verse 11, it says, this is all the more urgent. Now, this, this is serious here. For you know how late it is. Now, you can take this. This is extremely relevant for the time that we're living in right now. He says, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You know, I forgot something. Hold on a second. What did I do with that? Talk about your dirty laundry here in a minute. He says in verse 12, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. You ever have dirty clothes? You ever throw them in the laundry basket? Or you just keep on wearing them. If if you continue to wear your dirty clothes, everybody knows. And there's a whole different kind of social distancing that takes place. (laughs) He says the night is almost gone. He's already told us here, he says, you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, you know. For your salvation is is nearer now than when we first believed. I mean, he's making it very clear. It's getting late. (laughs) The night is almost gone, verse 12. The day of salvation will soon be here. That is absolute truth. So remove your dark deeds. Remove your dark deeds. It's obvious if you don't. It's as obvious as dirty clothes. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Didn't bring my big light, but I got my little one. But it's pretty bright too. But he says here, put on the, put on the shining armor, the shining armor of right living. The shine, and, and that's, the brand of God's armor, right living, 
Right living armor, you know. That's what he's talking about. That's the brand. Put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We're not creatures of the dark. We belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. And if we're not living a decent life for all to see, well, then our dirty clothes all can smell, spiritually speaking. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity, you know, sex out of marriage, and immoral or or wicked living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Now, there's a lot of things, and maybe they're going to make laws in our nation about some of these things, and they're going to call evil good. It don't work that way. You can't call light dark and dark light. It don't work that way. You can call it, but it don't make it that, does it? You know? It just don't do that. And we need to be praying in our nation right now because there are certain things our nation would tell us that, oh, this is, this is the law, this is good. And just calling something good, you can pick up some dog poop out of my dog pen and say, oh, this is fudge, have some. Okay, it's fudge. Everybody, how many wants to order some? It's free. Just because you call it fudge don't make it fudge, does it? It does not. So we need to understand this. And here it says in verse 14, Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think. Did you know you can, you can stop thinking about certain things if you want to? It is a choice. As you get in God's word, you can find out how to do it effectively. And it said, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord and don't let yourself. Self, you're not going to do that. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin. That's not the whole verse, so how does it say? There is pleasure in sin for a season. How many of you know right now that winter is just about done? Yes. You say, well, we see snow everywhere. That don't mean nothing. We're changing seasons. We know there is pleasure in sin for a season. There is snow in winter, but it's seasonal, and, and it's just about done. We might have two or three more blizzards. You might get two feet of snow, but it's going to be gone in a day or two. You know that. Because the season, and the Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's seasonal, only for a season. That's just the truth of it, you know. For the first time in 47 years, the tuna were running only 30 miles off of Cape Cod. That ain't far from here. And they were biting. And all you needed to catch one was a sharp hook and some bait. And the rumor was that the Japanese buyers would pay $50,000 for a nice blue fin tuna. These are hundreds of pounds. And that's not exaggerating, really. 
Many inexperienced fishermen ignored Coast Guard warnings and headed out to sea in small boats. What they didn't realize was that the problem wasn't catching the fish. It was reeling in the giant tuna and pulling it aboard. The Christiane, a 19-foot boat, capsized while doing battle with a tuna. The same day, the 27-foot boat Basic Instinct suffered the same fate. While another boat, official business, a 28-footer, was swamped after it hooked a 600-pound tuna. Fishermen on these boats underestimated the power of the fish that they were trying to catch. They underestimated the power of the fish. And that's what temptation does to us. It looks great. It looks fun. You know, on the surface, that's the way it looks, you know. But after we're hooked, you know, we discover the strength of the temptation. Oh, that's just, that's easy. But it's not so easy. And I'm going to tell you, the consequences of giving in to temptation is a lot more powerful. It's like catching a tuna in a small boat 30 miles away from shore. It can swamp you. It genuinely can. And what we want to do is learn how to refuse defeat. We don't want to be defeated by no tuna, and we surely don't want to be defeated by no temptation either. We do not. It tells us here in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. Where? In my Father. Jesus says, you're going to know that I'm in my Father and you are where? In me. And I am in you. Now, I meant to bring some envelopes last night. And lo and behold, I forgot to do them this morning. So you're going to have to use your imagination with me for a wee bit here. So my envelope, you got to imagine I've got an envelope up here. And this envelope represents my life, you know. And I'm going to put my name on my envelope, Pastor Ron. Can you imagine I've got an envelope that says Pastor Ron on it? Okay, thank you. Now, think about this for a moment. We've got a piece of paper with Jesus' name on it. Jesus. And I take the piece of paper with Jesus' name on it, and I put it into my envelope. Can you visualize that? It's sealed. Pastor Ron's envelope. It's got a piece of paper that says Jesus, written in red even, you know. It says Jesus on it. Now you put my envelope in a larger envelope with Jesus' name on it. My envelope, it's got Jesus inside on a piece of paper. It's got a bigger envelope that says Jesus on it. Take my envelope, you put it in Jesus' envelope and seal it up. You'll follow me. Okay, now, now visualize this for a moment. Um, Jesus is one with the Father. And we just got through reading it up here in John 14, 20. Jesus says, when, I'm, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. Where did he say he was at? He says, I am in my Father. So I want you to 
see another big envelope that says Papa God on there. And you take Jesus' envelope that has my envelope in it, and in my envelope it has Jesus written on it, and you put this envelope that says Jesus on it in Papa God Father's envelope and you seal it. Can you follow that? So you see these envelopes, and you see this piece of paper, says Jesus. Now, Satan tries to get to me. Think about this for a moment. If Satan could get through God, which he can't, but if Satan could get through to God the Father, what's he find? Jesus is envelope. And if Jesus is envelope, could be, you know, pierced by Satan, which he cannot, but if Satan could get into Jesus' envelope, what's he going to find? He's going to find me. And if he can get into me, what's he going to find? Jesus. Can, can you follow that? I'm going to tell you something. We are in an absolute no-lose situation here. You know, the enemy of our soul has to penetrate, get through God the Father, get through Jesus the Son to come to me. And when he starts messing with me, all he finds is Jesus on the inside. That is significant. Let me read this verse again. John 14, 20. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I, Jesus, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's like, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. And Jesus is a conqueror. And the Bible tells us he has made you and me to be more than conquerors. We overcome. And I'm clothed with Jesus when I'm clothed with his armor. What about you? He says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says, What then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody can successfully be against us if God is for us. Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all, for all of us. And what percentage is that? The father delivered Jesus up for 100% of the people on this planet, for all of us. How shall he not with Jesus, with him, also freely give us what? All. What percentage is all? 100% along with giving us Jesus, will he also freely give us all things. I'm telling you, God's crazy about you. He loves you. That's why he wants you to pray. He tells us to pray without ceasing because God fully expects you to pray so he can answer your prayers. He is expecting to answer your prayers more than you're expecting him to. So we need to get in his word and we need to spend time. We need to read it and chew on it, meditate on it and let it become a reality. It's like, yes, he, he does answer prayer. He's waiting to answer my prayer right now. I just got to ask the thing. That's just the truth of it. Anyhow, it says in verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Jesus is interceding. He's standing in the gap. He's praying for us. 
He's praying to the Father, bless my sons and my daughters, or bless your sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters. That, that, that's absolutely amazing when you think about it. Verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Mm-mm. Or distress? Huh? Or persecution? No. Or famine? Uh-uh. Or nakedness? Huh? Or peril? No. Or sword? Huh? Verse 37 says, yet in all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, yet in all these things we are what? More than conquerors. Now, you probably heard me read this particular passage quite a few times during this pandemic. And you'll probably hear me read it a few more times. Because God says you're more than a conqueror. And we need to get that in our heads and into our heart. We need to be able to memorize it and know what it's talking about. Overwhelming victory is ours. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. I don't know if you understand that. Imagine somebody who's won a gold medal in the Olympics. And they're out there doing other kind of competitions. They're fighting from a victory. They're already victorious. They got a gold you know, a uh, chain around their neck, a, a gold, uh, you know, emblem on that thing, they're already victorious, and they know they are, and they're fighting from a position of victory. Do you know that you're victorious through Christ who strengthens you? Do you know that you're uh, an overcomer? Do you know you're more than a conqueror? Do you know you are victorious in Christ? And so our, our battle right now is, is taking place from a victorious position. Not just, well, I hope I get some victory one day. It's like, no, I've already received victory through Christ. And that's the, the position we're fighting from, you know. There's an old song we used to sing years ago, and it goes like this. And if, if you can see it and you know it, please make a little racket along with me, okay? But it goes like this. I'm going to stay on the battlefield. I'm going to stay on the battlefield. I'm going to stay on the battlefield until he comes. I'm going to stay on the battlefield. I'm going to stay on the battlefield. I'm going to stay on the battlefield until he comes. You say, Christian's talking about a battlefield? If I'm not mistaken, he might have given us a little armor. And, and that's kind of intended for the battlefield, if you understand that concept. And then there's another verse that goes, I'm going to watch. And y'all can sing this because even if you can't see it, I don't know if you can or not, but even if you can't, it's real quick and easy to learn. I'm going to watch, fight, and pray. I'm going to watch, fight, and pray. I'm going to watch, Fight and pray until he comes. I'm going to watch, fight and pray. I'm going to watch, fight and pray. I'm going to watch, fight and pray until he comes. I'm going to seek souls to save. That's what we do. I'm going to seek souls to save. I'm going to seek souls to save until he comes. I'm going to seek souls to save. I'm going to seek souls to save. I'm going to seek 
Souls to save until he comes. One more verse. I ain't going to lay my armor down. I ain't going to lay my armor down. I ain't going to lay my armor down until he comes. I ain't going to lay my armor down. I ain't going to lay my armor down. I ain't going to lay my armor down until he comes. And please, all you guys who are English teachers here, please pardon my ain't, okay? But I ain't going to lay my armor down anyhow, even if it's not grammatically correct, you know. I ain't going to lay my armor down until he comes. And so if there is a battlefield, there must be an enemy. And there is an enemy of our soul. And uh, Corey Ten Boom once said, she said, the first step on the way to victory in any war is to recognize the enemy. Do you recognize your enemy? Do, do you really recognize him? Or are there times you find yourself, you're, you're, you're in some kind of a battle going on, and you don't know, is that the devil, or is that God, or is that just my neighbor, or, or whatever? Do you recognize your enemy? If you want to gain victory, you got to recognize him. Because if you don't, you might find yourself just kind of getting in harmony with them at some point in time. Listen, what... Uh, General Douglas MacArthur said, he says, it is fatal to enter any war without the will to win it. Any war, any battle you're in, if you don't have the will to win it, you're not going to win it. You know, I don't know if I can do this or not, you know. So when we're on the battlefield, we need to have great expectations because of Christ's strength and the armor of Almighty God and his angelic host who comes to our aid, we're going to win the battle. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then there was a war in heaven. Wow. Can you believe that? We hear wars about breaking out over here, over here on our planet. Did you recognize there was a war, genuine war in heaven against the powers of light and the powers of darkness. Then there was war in heaven. Michael, the angels, under almighty God's command, fought the dragon. And the dragon is that fabulous looking kind of a reptile, serpent thing. And he says here, and Michael and the angels under his command and he was under Papa God's command, fought the dragon and the dragon's angels. And the dragon lost the battle. Isn't that awesome? And that's what you would have expected. And was forced out of heaven. Yes. The dragon and his angelic host who worked with him and served him were cast out of heaven. That's what the Bible says right here. Verse 9 says, this great dragon, the ancient serpent, this, this fabulous looking snake, sly and cunning, crafty and malicious. It says, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, the accuser, you know, the slanderer, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down, yes, to the earth with all its angels. Oh, wait a minute there. 
I like the idea of being cast out of heaven, but why was he thrown down to earth? That's where I live. That's where you live. And Satan, this old dragon with his, his demonic angelic beings that do only destruction, has been cast down here where you and I live. And their job is to defeat you. And we need to refuse defeat. No, I ain't going for that. No, sirree, I'm going to stay on the battlefield and I'm not laying my armor down. I ain't laying my armor down. That's just the way it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? So the moment we connect with Christ, we are in the fight. We really are. And if you don't connect with Christ, you remain a POW for life. You understand what a POW is? What is it? Prisoner of war. So if you connect with Christ, oh man, that brings about transformation, but we join the fight. If you're not connected with Christ, you are a prisoner of war. You have been caught. You have been disarmed. You have been defeated already. Now, those of you who have connected with Christ, but have gone AWOL. Anybody know what AWOL stands for? Absent without a leave. You've, you've disconnected from Christ. You're doing your own thing. You've gone AWOL, you're back in a prisoner of war situation. You are a prisoner again. You have been defeated. If you connect with Christ, you're in a battle, and you're going to win. You, you, it's, it's a choice that you and I are going to make, you know. If you, well, I don't need Christ. Well, you're just a prisoner of war for life. And if you get connected and then you disconnect, you know, you've gone AWOL, you're back into the prisoner of war attitude syndrome, if you would. That's just the way it is. Revelation chapter 9 verse 11 says, their king of these uh, evil powers of darkness and all those who do wicked things, their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, Apollyon, which means destroyer. The, the devil's name, this dragon, he might look fabulous and beautiful for a wee bit, but his name means destroyer. And we know it in John 10, 10, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. His, he is intent, 100% intent on destroying and defeating you. That's what the devil's goal is. Genuinely, yes. In Revelation chapter 12, the Bible refers to this dragon, this devil, this Satan. It refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the scripture refers to this dragon as the adversary. In Revelation 9, he's referred to as the angel of the bottomless pit. In 1 John 4, he's referred to as Antichrist, the one who is against Christ. In Matthew 12 and Mark 3 and Luke 11, he's referred to as Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies, the dung god. That's what his name means. And I think it properly fits, you know. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 
He's referred to as Belial. And in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and Revelation 20, the devil is referred to as the false accuser, the slanderer. And in Matthew 13, he's referred to as the enemy. 1 Samuel 16 is referred to as the evil spirit. And John 8 is referred to as the father of all liars. He's a liar. And 2 Corinthians 4, Satan is referred to as the God of this world, little g, of this world. Revelation 12 calls him the great red dragon. In Isaiah 14, he's called Re Lucifer and it's the Roman rendering of a morning star. He's referred to as a morning star, Lucifer. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he's referred to as a man of sin. John 8, he's referred to as a murderer. In Revelation 12 and verse 20, uh, chapter 20, he's referred to as the old serpent. In Colossians chapter 1, he's referred to as a power of darkness. In John 12, 14, and 16, he's referred to as a prince of this world. In Ephesians 2, he's referred to as a prince of the power of the air. And in Ephesians, he's referred to as a ruler of darkness. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, Job chapter 1, John chapter 13, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 26, and Romans chapter 16, he's just referred to as Satan, the adversary, the accuser. And in Genesis 3 and 2 Corinthians 11, he's referred to as a serpent. In John 17, he's referred to as the son of perdition, destruction. He's the son of ruin, the son of waste, and the son of loss. And in Matthew chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians 3, he's referred to as a tempter. John 10, 10, you already know, he's referred to as the thief, which comes to kill, steal, and destroy. In Matthew 13, he's referred to as the wicked one. In Revelation 20, he's referred to as the unholy trinity, the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. This is just a little taste of what the Bible refers to Satan as. He is real, and he is intent on destroying you and everything that's dear or pure or holy or that God loves. That's what he is set to do, and we don't need to be defeated. You and I can refuse defeat. And he has one purpose, and that's to defeat you, to destroy you. That's what the, the enemy of our soul wants to do. But let me just share with you the words of an old, old hymn. And let's let this sink into our heart. It's based upon biblical principles. And it's called, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark. Now what in the world is a bulwark? It's talking about a fortification. It's like a castle. It's like a fort. It's a place of refuge. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. That's our God is a fortress. We can hide in him. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, that old dragon, that old serpent, that old devil, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, armed with cruel hate. And on earth, 
is not his equal. There's not one man on this planet who can overcome the devil. Not one. Not one in his own human strength. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be, Christ Jesus. It is he, Lord Sabbath, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Now let me read you a verse. Right after this, we, we read the words of a song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it says here in Psalms 144, verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord who is my rock. He gives me strength for what? He gives me strength for war and skill for what? And he gives me skill for battle. He is my loving ally and my... He's my fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. He's our fortress. He is our rock of Gibraltar. This is amazing. My tower of safety, my deliverer, <clears throat> he stands before me as a shield and I take refuge in him. He subdues the nations under me. Oh Lord, what are mortals that you should notice us? Mere humans that you should care for us. But God does notice you. He does care about you. And he has provided a fortress for you. And he has provided weaponry for you to fight this battle that you are in because the devil will never cease his attempts to defeat you. He will never, while you and I breathe on this earth, he will never cease to try to defeat us. Listen to what it says here in Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says a final word. This is very important. Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. You need to understand the Lord's mighty power is available to every one of you who are in this building, every one of you who are joining us online, live streaming. God's mighty power is available because he tells us, be strong with the Lord's mighty power, not in your own human strength. Maybe even if you work out and you've got pretty good muscles, you'll never succeed against the enemy of our soul and his angelic, demonic beings. But it says here, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on what? All. What percentage is that again? Put on all, 100% of God's armor, so you will be able to stand firm against all, 100%, all the strategies and tricks of the devil. Now, let me see here. 
Now, I don't know if you know what these are. Does anybody know what these are? Yeah, these are hiking poles, but you got to be real little to use them. Now, if these fit every man, fit every woman, fit every child, you know? And when we're going up the mountain, I put them about right here. Coming down the mountain, I put them about right there, you know? Whoops. And coming down, you want them to be long. Now, I can tell you, Susan could probably become a salesman for these things. One of these days, I'll show you all the videos and the pictures I've shot of her coming down the mountain, sometimes when she's looking, sometimes when she wasn't. Now, see, I can come right down. Oops, she's looking at me mean. I'm not supposed to be past my little shield up here. But you see here? Coming down the mountain, they're ahead of you. And just now I'm like a deer. I got four legs instead of only two. And uh, the other day, not yesterday, Friday I was up there on the mountain praying, and I had to come down because the path was so terribly icy, I had to make a new trail way higher up. But it was a little bit more dangerous. I didn't tell Susan about that I slipped, and I was coming down to the side you would have thought I was one of these awesome, fantastic snowboarders, but I didn't have no board under my feet, you know. And I had these, and I was like, and I stopped. I steadied myself, and I continued to stand. Because, you know, the Bible talks about having a rod and a staff. And you can stand your ground. You can stand, I can tell you, would you give up your hiking poles if I gave you $1,000 for them? You wouldn't? Yeah. You'd go buy some new ones, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's a wise move. Several fair. But it makes all the difference in the world. You couldn't have done it without the, the hiking poles. But I want, I want you to understand, this passage right here, it says... Put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies and the tricks of the devil. And you know, I've told you about these, but I don't think I've showed them to you, at least not recently. And this is what we wear of the mountain for the last, what, six weeks or, or something like that. And these are snowshoes. And they've got metal strips with spikes all the way down there. You see that? And then hook to your toe. And these are technical. These are not flimsy or anything. And, and when, when you're walking, these grippers grab in, and these hold. And I, I wear these, and when I get up on the top of the mountain, and there's big old boulders like this that goes to the top, when there's snow on it, I just walk up the snow. Is that true? You can't walk up those rocks when it's dry because they're too steep. But with... These grippers, and you go, well, how do you, isn't that kind of hard to walk like that? Well, see, the, the thing is, this right here is down. But when you're going up the hill, you pop this up, and so your foot hits on it like this away. So it's going up, but your foot is like just walking on stairs. Does that make sense? What it does, these things right 
here. Could you have made it up to the top of there dozens of times without these things on? It's not like just something to play with. These aren't play toys. I've had these things for 25, 30 years or so, and they've got many, many miles on them, but they enable you to stand. And the armor of God enables you and me to stand. And it says right here in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm, stand firm against all the strategies and the tricks of the devil. And you learn about the armor right here. Verse 12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh. We're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. But we are fighting. But we're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in heavenly realms. And this is a real fight. It is more real. And the consequences are greater than World War I and World War II and the Vietnam War and the Civil Wars and all the wars you've ever read about in history. This is a real, genuine battle. It ain't no game. This is for keeps. It affects you. It affects your family, your, your children, your, your moms and dads, brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts, your neighbors. This battle is for real. And the Bible tells us to put on all the armor because we're in the battle. Whether you're armored or not, you're in the battle. That's just the truth of that. And we're fighting not against people. People sometimes say, well, I'm fighting against my neighbor. No, you're not. You're fighting against you know, spiritual things that stirs up all this craziness. Let me read it to you in the Passion Bible, verse 12. It says, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods, little g on gods, of, of demon gods. And evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. And the devil wants to defeat you. And he wants to hold you in bondage. So you can't do anything that God wants you to do. You are incarcerated in a spiritual way. You are a prisoner of war, what I'm talking about. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I fear that somehow you will be led away from your pure and simple devotion to Christ, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. Verse 14 says, Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen movies, read about them, saw them in the books, where there was an ugly old witch. I mean, she looked like she's about 250 years old, you know, and her hair is all straggly and just an ugly old face, and she's got warts on her nose, and hair's growing out of the warts and all. But she can cast a spell on herself, and for just a few hours or a day or two, she can transform into the most beautiful woman you've ever seen in your life. And you would be enticed with her. But she can't stay that way long, and she comes back to her old ugly self, and you find out You've been hanging out, or maybe you got married to this ugly old witch with a warty nose that's got hair growing out of it. Now, the devil, the Bible says, 
He appears as an angel of light. He appears as something beautiful. He appears as something that's good and wholesome. Do you know your enemy? Do you know his camouflage? Do you know how he camouflages himself and how he presents himself? Do you know what that's like? You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are very familiar with his evil schemes. You got to know your, your enemy by knowing God's word. It's so critical for us to be victorious. The, the, the devil is like a serpent, not just any old serpent, but he's like a, a king cobra. You know what a king cobra can do that other serpents they can't do? He can spit his venom and blind the eyes of his prey. Look it up. Find out about king cobras. They can spit their venom, you know, and blind you. Listen to what the scripture says here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Satan, the god of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So those who don't believe, they, it's, the reason is because they've been blinded by this cobra. The, 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 their minds have been blinded. They, they can't see, they can't grasp things anymore. But believing in God, when you begin to believe in God, it cures our blindness. It changes our stinking thinking. It changes our mind. It allows us to see things for reality. So you're not just hanging out with all this ugly old warty nose witch, you know, because the devil comes as an angel of light. There's an old song we used to sing. It went like this, and you can sing along with me if, if you know it or if you can learn it real quick. It goes, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, holy, holy. And the song just goes on and on and on. But I don't think anybody wants to be blinded in their eyes or they don't want to be blinded in their mind. They can't think straight no more. It don't make sense. They're just in a confused, you know, mess in their mind there. But that's what the devil comes, to blind the minds of those who want to believe in Almighty God. And, and he'll not succeed there. But if, if he does uh, blindness, well, then we don't believe. But to believe God and his word, it cures our blindness. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be careful. Watch out. God wants us to be able to see. Watch out. You know, to be alert. Alert. I'm going to give you... Uh, a word for each of those letters, A-L-E-R-T. Always looking, always looking everywhere to resist temptation. Be alert, always looking to resist temptation. Always looking everywhere to resist temptation. And he says here, be careful, watch out for attacks, hostile assaults to destroy us. Be careful, watch out for attacks, from the devil 
your great enemy. He's not your pal. He prowls, he, he, he lurks, he stalks around like a roaring lion looking for some victim, a Christ follower. He's looking for us to devour. And he consumes lost and straying sheep. That's what the devil wants to do, to consume, destroy lost and <clears throat> straying sheep. So we got to prepare ourselves. Anyhow, sunrise was dawning. When Los Angeles motorcycle police officer Bob Vernon, he saw a red pickup truck speed through a stop sign. This guy must be late to work, he thought to himself. So he turned on his emergency lights and radioed that he was in pursuit. And the pickup pulled over and the officer approached. Meanwhile, in the truck, the driver thought the cops already know. And he was scared. He rested his hand on the same gun he had just used a few moments before to rob a 24-hour market. The sack of stolen money was beside him on the seat of the truck. The officer said, good morning, sir. May I see your boom? He never finished the sentence. The driver shoved his gun toward the police officer's chest and fired from just inches away. The cuff was not flat, seven feet away. A few seconds later, to the shock of the criminal, the officer stood up, pulled his service revolver, and fired twice. He was still seven foot away, but the first bullet went through the open window and it smashed the windshield. The second tore through the side of the door and ripped into the driver's leg. Don't shoot, the thief screamed, throwing the gun and the sack of money out of the pickup truck window. What saved the policeman's life was dozens of layers of Kevlar. The super strong fabric used for a bulletproof vest, only three-eighths of an inch thick Kevlar can stop bullets cold. In Ephesians chapter 6, it instructs every Christian to put on the full armor of God. You know, and the simple qualities that we discover in the armor is righteousness and, and faith, and, and, and they can deflect whatever the enemy fires against us. And, and we have what is referred to as the breastplate of righteousness. It's the body armor that Christians have. It was written here before anybody ever came up with armor. And it's a breastplate of righteousness that protects all of our vital organs. And the cop and most law officers, they wear body armor to protect them from the things that the enemies throw at them to try to destroy them. And you and I must wear the armor, the breastplate of righteousness to protect our heart and our lungs and our liver and all those vitals that are in there of righteousness. It's a right relationship with the almighty God. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eight says, but let us who live in the light. And this right here, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a lamp, light unto our path. But let those who live in the light be clear headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. Faith and love. The Bible says faith that can work Impossible things have become possible. The Bible says that faith works by love. Love for God and love for your fellow man. 
And he says here, we are protected by the armor. So are you wearing your armor? Or did you leave it at home? Are you spiritually running around naked? You don't have anything to protect you. And there is someone who is absolutely bent on defeating you and destroying you and putting you in bondage. It says, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. And wearing as our helmet, listen to this, the confidence of our salvation. If you are not confident that your name is written in the book of life, if you're not confident that you're saved, and if you die today, you're going to heaven, you don't have on a helmet. It's only when a man or a woman becomes confident that I am forgiven, I am saved, my name is written in the book of life, then the helmet goes on. And it is so vital. It really genuinely is. So are you wearing your helmet of salvation today? And if you go, well, I'm not, I'm not confident that I'm saved or I'm going to heaven, well, you don't have your helmet. You, you're not wearing your armor. But you can get it right today. Right now, you can get that and put it on and use it for the rest of your life. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, in the Amplified Bible, it says, In speaking the word of truth in the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand, like holding the sword to attack. The right hand, like holding the sword to attack. And for the left, the left hand, it's like, Holding the shield to defend. The shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And you can quench everything the devil throws at you. Every fiery dart, every temptation, every destructive thing. You can quench it if you got the armor, the shield of faith. And that's to defend you. But what is the sword of the spirit intended? So you can move forward into the battle. And you can set people free. And the, my Bible says if you resist the devil, what will he do? He will flee from you. And in the original means he will flee from you in terror. Do you have your shield of faith? Do you have the sword of the spirit? It's available to each and every one of us. Whether you use it, that's going to be your choice. But the wise thing would be is to have on your armor. Aren't you glad that cop had his, his uh, armor on? You know, completely blew away that bad guy who shot him. Completely blew him away. Anyhow, listen to what it says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, and don't sin. And this is the way the devil traps and he snares you. And don't sin by letting anger as debate. Are you taking debate? And don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Fight off anger. Do not give in to anger. Don't sin by letting anger gain control of you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. God gives us a day, one day, to get things right. You're angry about something? He gives you a day to make it your priority and get this thing settled. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Now, we've talked about this quite a few times, but you think about this, and I'm talking about you, and you, I'm talking about you. If you become angry and you don't get that thing settled out, you give a foothold to the devil. That means at nighttime, 
when you're going and locking the doors in your house and it's like there's a size 13 filthy, dirty, stinking boot in your door so you can't even close the door, much less lock it. It's got old filthy old legs stuck in that boot but the lights is off and you can't see who's in that thing. If that was at your house and you can't even close your door because somebody's got their foot stuck in the door, are you going to go, well, that's okay, and going to bed? You're going to call at least 911 or get your chainsaw and cut that thing off and throw it out. The Bible says when you give in to anger, you have given a mighty foothold to the devil. And you know he don't just want his foot in the door. When you go to sleep, he's going to come in to destroy things. He comes in to destroy everything that's dear to you, everybody who's dear to you. And your health and your finances and the steel kill and destroy everything that's valuable to you. And it says it right here. And we need to have our armor on. It says in verse 27, for anger gives, you're giving it away, gives a mighty foothold to the devil. So if you give it into anger, well, that's just the way I am. Yeah, you can say, I, the kind of person I am, I just let the devil come in and destroy my family. That's just the way I am. You give into anger and let it control you, the devil runs rampant in your household and in your lives, in your health and your finances. You got armor, use it. <laughs> you know, you got a sword, whack that old leg, you know. Get that boot out of that door. You don't let him stay there. Deal with your anger is what he's telling us here. He says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, why are you so angry? He's talking to Cain. Remember Cain and Abel as Adam and Eve's sons? Why are you so angry? The Lord asked him. Jealousy always leads to anger. And that was what was going on here. Why do you look so dejected? Why do you look so sad and and depressed and, and so miserable? Verse 7 says, you will be accepted by God if you respond in the right way. And that is through faith. Our response to God is faith to believe and to act upon what he tells us. But if you refuse to respond correctly in faith, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you. And you must subdue it. You must conquer it. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24, it says, keep away from angry, short-tempered people. Now, don't go looking around. They'll know that you know. So just don't go looking at them right now. Keep away from angry, short-tempered people. Why? Or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Anger causes you to endanger your soul. It's hard to keep your helmet on when you're a person given to anger. That's what he tells us here. John Paul Jones was called the father of the American Navy. He was noted, this is back... 1747 to 1792, he was noted for his courage in fighting larger and better equipped fleets, ships. And in 1779, he took command of the Bonham Richard, which he named in honor of Benjamin Franklin, author of Poor Richard's Almanac. On September the 23rd, 1779, the Bonham Richard attacked the British ship uh, Serapis, which was leading a convoy. And the ships came so close to each other that their masts entangled and the cannon muzzles touched each other. 
after intense naval combat, which nearly destroyed the Bonham Richard ship, the British commander yelled, wanting to know if the Americans were ready to surrender. And John Paul Jones responded. Does anybody know what he said? I have not yet begun to fight. He says, I don't surrender. I ain't going to lay my armor down. And you and I need to put on the armor of Almighty God so we can stand strong and secure against the enemy of our soul for ourselves and for those who we love, our children and our grandchildren, our nieces and, 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 and nephews and our, our neighbors and the people who we're, we consider dear and to our nation. We need to stand our ground and we have not yet begun to fight. And we refuse defeat because we're learning how to use our armor. It's about time we're learning how to use our armor. And it says here in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, it says, We are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. That's what I'm talking about. And just so you can have it in your notes, James 4, 7 says, So humble yourselves before God and resist the devil. You got a shield and you got a sword. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says, With the Lord's authority, let me say this, live no longer as the ungodly do. They play with dangerous stuff. I don't care if it's a a leader of your nation, or, or if it's just somebody who lives in your community, it says here, with the Lord's authority, let me say this, live no longer as the ungodly. Don't live like an ungodly person, for they are hopelessly confused. Hopelessly confused. Verse 18 says, their closed minds, you know, that they've been blinded, closed to God. Their closed minds are full of darkness and they're far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and that's their choice and hardened their hearts against him and that's their choice. Verse 19 says, they don't care anymore about right and wrong and they have given themselves over to, Im- to immoral immoral ways and that's a dangerous place to give yourself over to immoral ways their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed but that isn't what you were taught when you learned about christ verse 26 since you have heard all about him and you have learned the truth that is in jesus throw off your old evil nature throw off all your dirty clothes Throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through. Throw it off. It's full of lust and deception. You know, the the devil is like a mad dog, like a rabid dog. That's what the devil is like, that he's chained up. And he's powerless to harm us when we're outside of his reach. But once we enter his circle we expose ourselves to great danger. He's got a chain, and he can only go that far. But when we start playing with sin, we get within the devil's reach. And how would you like to be bitten by a rabid dog? And now I have to go through all those shots and all those treatments for rabies. How would you like to go mad? 
But when we start playing with dangerous kinds of stuff, you come within the devil's reach. And his, he is intent on destroying you. I'm telling you, refuse defeat. And you can with the armor of God. And if you say, I'm not quite sure. Well, we can learn about how to do that. Last two verses, and I'm done for today. In verse 23, it says, instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You know, when you're on the battlefield, even the battles that we have nowadays, you have a, a continual supply of trucks going to our warriors on the battlefield, bringing food and, and tents and, and, and medical attention and ammunition. You, you know, a lot of our military, they drive trucks because there's a renewal of all that they need. There's a renewal so they can win the battle. And listen to this renewal. It says, instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. That's what I'm talking about. You must display a new nature because you are a new person. You've been born again. You're saved. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. That's what I'm talking about. You know, you don't have to be defeated. You don't have to be destroyed. You were created to be a partaker of God's divine nature. You're his child. You have been created to learn how to use the armor of God and to stand your ground when the whole rest of the world is shaken to stand your ground, to speak truth, to learn how to use your shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts that's thrown at you, how to use your sword to set other people free. And it's very clear in his word how to do this. And we'll learn that. Hopefully you already are operating in those areas. But our time is up right now. And I'd like to pray for you. So if you'd bow your heads with me right now, and uh, I want to ask you to come up here with me, Susan. First thing I want to do is to give you an opportunity. If you do not have the absolute confidence and the assurance that your name is written in the book of life. If you're not sure, right now, if you was to die today before the sun went down, if you're not sure you'd go to heaven or not, I want you to pray with me right now. If you've never declared your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to join with me right now and, and let him move in and let him bring about a transformation and a change on the inside of you. And if you're already right with God and you know you are, would you reaffirm your faith in him as we pray together right now? Would you pray with me? Now, that's all you guys who are here and all you guys who are at home. Would you join me as we pray together? Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. That's why you sent your son Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died in my place. And I believe that Jesus died in my place. And he place. paid for all of my sins. And he paid for all of my sins. And then he rose from the dead. And then he rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus. And I welcome Jesus. Into every area of my life. Into every area of my life. As my Savior. As my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. As my soon coming King. As my soon coming King. And as my friend. And as my friend. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I will live for you. I will live for you. Teach me to use your armor. Teach me to use your armor. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.